Hi, I'm Patrick Finley. It's Jason Leisure. Jason, the Bears have got another NFC North matchup coming up on Sunday. We'll talk about that and more coming up on Hallis Intrigue. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Jason, don't look now, but the Bears are on a one-game winning streak, and they are bringing that to Soldier Field Sunday where they will play the Vikings, who somehow might be in worse shape than the Bears are. Is that possible? Yeah, boy, everyone's really excited about the one-game winning streak. Like, the entire conversation around the Bears seems to have changed with one win over the Commanders. <laughs> and it's just it's just such an easy leap, it seems, from winning the first game of the season and ending a 14-game losing streak to, you know, maybe there's a playoff run in this team. We'll see. <laughs> the, fact, the fact is... That leap is not coming from you and I. Let the record show. The fact is there is an opportunity right now for them. Right. This week against Minnesota at home, next week at home against the Raiders, that's an opportunity. Those are beatable teams. Now, just because it's an opportunity doesn't mean that the Bears will take it. So let's look just at Minnesota as an opportunity. It is a home game in which Minnesota doesn't have their best player, Justin Jefferson. Mm-hmm. So that immediately kind of lowers the anxiety for a Bears defense that has a lot of problems. And, Pat, on the other side... If you're looking for a, a great opportunity for Justin Fields, mm-hmm. this pass defense is atrocious. And yep. I would start with the simplest possible stat for their pass defense is that they Minnesota is allowing 76% completions. <laughs> that's, that's unreal. That's that, incredible. That's, that like, would be a record. That yeah. means that they are allowing people to throw and catch right. at an extremely high rate. Do with that what you will if you're Justin Fields. I think it's a great opportunity for him. And for the offense and for the Bears, of course, that doesn't mean that they will take advantage of that opportunity. No, it doesn't. I mean, you look at the Vikings, they're 30th in passer rating allowed at 110.8. 110's pretty great. 110, essentially, they look like the Bears' defense has looked. Yeah, so that's average. So that's like... That's average. not average. No, I mean, 110 no, that's is... their average. Right, That's yeah. Minnesota's average for the season. Right. So basically, you line up at quarterback... Uh, against the Vikings, you're going to look like Patrick Mahomes. Who that's, they played last week. That's pretty much what it will be. That's what they are turning opposing quarterbacks into every week. Yeah, I will I will counterpunch a little bit here. They lost by seven to the Chiefs on Sunday. They had the ball with a chance to tie the game. The Bears lost to the Chiefs three weeks ago by 100. They, you know, and Jefferson got hurt, what, I think early in the fourth quarter, so they had to finish without him. You know, there are some stats that make the Vikings look really bad, but... Boy, you know, if, if you want to play a common opponent game, uh, you know, they looked they looked to be on the Chiefs' level for most of the game the other day, and, and the Bears certainly did not do that. Yeah, everybody can do that for a day. I mean, uh, although the Bears haven't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I It don't, sounds real easy when it's somebody else's I team. Yeah. I don't think it means that those teams are that close to each other. I see the Vikings with a lot of their usual problems where they are just kind of good-ish at quarterback. Uh, they have a defense. They have major concerns on defense, especially in the passing game. They are missing the one guy that can change everything for them in Justin Jefferson. John Hoke, the Bears' secondary coach, was talking today about Justin Jefferson being out and saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Don't get too excited. They'll have other guys." 
Yeah, technically, but they don't have another Justin Jefferson. The rest of the league practically no. doesn't have another Justin Jefferson. And on top of that, the only team the Vikings have beaten is the Panthers. Sure, which is the worst team in football. The only winless team. I'd, I'd ask you this. If you had to make a list of the five best players in the NFL who don't play quarterback, it is, I mean, on that list. Just game-changing yeah, guys. Whatever yeah. order you want to make it, it's Micah Parsons, Aaron Donald, Justin Jefferson, Travis Kelsey. I love your first four on that list. It's a great list. Yeah. Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill, maybe. Your fifth. I mean, either way, I mean, Justin Jefferson, you you know, you say he's their star. He'd be anybody's star. He's uh, he's amazing. Uh, I'll push back again, though. Kirk Cousins is good. Kirk Cousins is second in the league in passing. Uh, the Bears passer rating that they've allowed in the five games, and I'm taking out the backup quarterback for the Chiefs because he doesn't count, Okay. So here's the Bears' pass rating allowed to starting quarterbacks this year in order. 123.2, 114.5, 127.3, 133.5, and then 99.1 against Sam Howell. Sam Howell looked really good in the second half, but you know they were throwing a lot because they had to play catch-up there. I think the Bears have proven worst quarterbacks have kicked the Bears' butt Absolutely. this year, yes. and and Kirk Cousins is I think capable of that. You know, even if it's just T.J. Hawkinson and Jordan Addison and a running back. You know? the, one of the main tensions for the Bears' defense that you would have identified going into the season is great secondary, in my opinion. I, I think that is a stacked secondary with those three corners and those two safeties. However, no pass rush. Yeah. And how is that going to work out? Is that lack of a pass rush going to prove to give quarterbacks too much time that, that the secondary just can't hold that long? Or is the secondary going to be able to negate that disadvantage, negate that, that uh, shortfall that you have of not having a pass rush? Are they that good that they can do it? We actually haven't seen that play out. We don't know, really. No, I because mean... Because they the guys have not been out there... Since the opener. Yeah, Kyler Gordon breaks his hand in the opener against the Packers. In week two, Eddie Jackson hurts his foot. In week three, Jalen Johnson hurts his hamstring. We have various injuries to Jaquan Brisker throughout the year that, that uh, limited him a little bit. Uh, you know, that's you know th- that's your defensive backfield right there. And uh, they, you know, we haven't seen them play together, I guess, since the first half of week one. Uh, and... I think they're going to obviously be better. I think the question in general with Jalen Johnson, if you want to look at him in his career, the question is how good is he if he doesn't take – how good is he because he doesn't take the ball away? And, and he can be a lockdown corner, but if he doesn't get the ball, you know, that goes against the Matt Eberflus definition of good defense, which is, you know, go ahead and find the ball. Um, you know, Kyler Gordon, I think, is really, really important to what they do. And John Hoke talked about it. Matt Eberflus has talked about it. And – you know, part of the reason it's important to get him back, he might be their best pass rusher. Like, that that sounds blasphemous. Gordon is a good blitzer. Yeah, George, yeah Gordon and, and Brisker sometimes, too. Those guys coming off the edge, you know, if the Bears are going to blitz 28% of the time like they did last week, uh, they're going to use those guys a lot. I think if somebody asked me back in August, like, what is something you're seeing in training camp mm-hmm. that looks new or different or interesting, it was Kyler Gordon on the blitz. Yeah. That was not something that they did a ton last year, but he did it a lot in training camp and looked really good. He was getting in on those. I want to pivot to something that's kind of the, in my mind, the opposite of what we're talking about here. The the, the Bears, DBs, I think it was their strongest group. I also think it was one that they could least afford to lose people um, in. Because you need everybody. Like when you brought up Jalen Johnson yeah. and not getting takeaways, 
let's say you're playing quarterback against the Bears during Jalen Johnson's career. Are you going to throw at Jalen Johnson, or are you going to throw at Artie Burns? No, I, and there's any a, one of these practice squad quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah. They finally have brought in other guys that would theoretically force quarterbacks to test Jalen Johnson. I mean, I'd throw at Tyreek Stevenson until he can prove that, you know, until he, until he proves Yeah, but you himself. expect him to be good, don't you? I mean, yeah, eventually. That's what you yeah. do this week, but that won't hold up, I don't think. I mean, he is eventually going to be a really good quarterback. Yeah, in week six of his rookie year, I would throw at Tyreek Stevenson. I look at the running back position as, as kind of the opposite. I think it is a fungible position. I think that your average guy off, the, your average player off the street can step in and do a fairly decent representation of, of what, you know, uh, Khalil Herbert yeah. and Roshan Johnson. The league agrees with you. Yeah, that's how the league uh, pays people. Uh, the Bears, depending on how you want to score keep this, are down to their fourth and fifth running backs. Or, you know, if you want to count Kari Blassingame as a running back, I, I guess they're fourth, fifth, and sixth running backs. But it looks like Dante Foreman's going to be the guy um, on Sunday. As we sit here now on a Thursday afternoon, Roshan Johnson still hasn't been cleared. Uh, Khalil Herbert's got an ankle injury. I don't expect him to play. Um, you know, and Travis Homer, I think, has a hamstring. They still have quite a bit of time for Roshan Johnson to be cleared, and I would imagine, wouldn't you, that if he's cleared by Sunday, he would be first choice. Yeah. He's oh, yeah. plan A. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but if, if he's not, you've got, uh, you know, Dante Foreman, who, after the Panthers traded uh, Christian McCaffrey last year, was one of the best what, four running backs in football in terms of yards? Like, and the Bears signed him, gave him $2 million over a year. They signed him to be, to be part of a platoon, and then, you know, a month later they drafted somebody that I think it's apparently, like, better in Roshan Johnson. Roshan Johnson showed that he was better yeah. on the field. It was clear. Um, but, yeah, that that is good insurance. When you get down to your you're – say, you're saying third or fourth running back with him? Yeah. Yeah. Um, or fourth or fifth. I'm yeah. Thinking third. I'm thinking third running back. I mean, Travis Homer plays every week, but he plays because he's a specialty. Right. I think just on running back depth, probably your third running back. When your third running back was almost 1,000 yards last mm-hmm. year and still, we think, very viable, Yeah, that's good. That's, that's pretty good depth. Does it concern you that he couldn't get on the field for four weeks? No, because they obviously Khalil Herbert was number one. And it's been treated like number one since August. And he yes. will be when he's back. And Roshan Johnson was better yeah. than Foreman. And at that point, you need guys that also play special teams, and that's never going to be something that Foreman's going to do. Right. And you know, I talked to him, and he said, listen, if they didn't like me, they would have cut me. <laughs> and and you know, even though they're paying him $2 million, they, they could have easily walked away from him if, if they were done with him. They showed that with P.J. Walker, for example, that that didn't stop them. I mean, you build your running back room now like right. a like uh, like a bullpen in baseball, where like you know you're gonna get to these guys at sure. some point during the season. We've gone this far without talking about Justin Fields, and for that, I'm I'm proud of us, Jason. But but let's get into it. No, I'm disappointed in us. We just started <laughs> there. Uh, he is coming off the two best games of his career, bar none. In the last two weeks, he has averaged double the passing yards that he averaged in every other start in his career, uh, over 300 yards each time, 308 point something in each game. Is this a turning point? Is this a lull in the schedule? Or is this kind of somewhere in between? Well, it could be a turning point, and it could be an aberration. It's really on him to decide that in the next few weeks. Right. I don't think we can make a ruling on that. It is the be- probably the best two-game 
back-to-back that he's ever played. Oh, I don't think there's any question. And yeah. it was against, I believe, statistically, the worst and second-worst defenses in the league. Right? Uh, the or is it worse than like third fourth, worst or something? Fourth or fifth worst, yeah. Horrible defenses. Right. So, you know, that in itself, if I have to decide without seeing anything else, that's an aberration. Right. He's got to prove that it isn't. He's got to prove that that is more than that. That this is actually the start of a new trajectory for his career. And the, and even though he's continuing to play teams that aren't very good here coming up the next two, mm-hmm. uh, I the Chargers are after that. I think the Chargers are good. I'm never really sure. Yeah. Uh, but I think that stacking up four in a row, even mm-hmm. against bad teams, that does tell you something. Right. Or, you know, the Saints defense is really good, and that's the first week in November. You know, going into the Superdome and trying to win that game, that's a real challenge. I mean, that's not going into SoFi in a stadium that's 80% filled with Bears fans. Yeah. Like, like, that will be the test. I'm looking at it kind of just... You know, surface level, kind of logically here, Pat, as a just a brutal start to the season all around, mm-hmm. uh, including for him. I, I I don't really I don't really think that Denver game was amazing. Like he did a lot of good things in that game. He had some critical mistakes in that he, game. Too. He fumbled you, the ball away. Yeah, yeah. The, you yeah. have to keep. You have to look at both things. Mm-hmm. But I think that things started to turn. Then mm-hmm. there were some positives in that. Not enough to win. And then things got much better against Washington. Now you have these other these next couple of kind of lightweight opponents. So you have this four-game stretch to kind of get yourself on solid footing. And then it gets tougher. You need you need to be ready by the time you're playing the Chargers and the Saints. This is your chance to get ready. Right. And that, I mean, even that will only be about the halfway point of the season, which is <laughs> uh, the roller coaster that Justin Fields will have been on just before New Orleans is, is remarkable. I think that he was so bad in the the offense was so bad in the first three games that I think everybody's expectations just fell to the floor too, um, which is in a way why I think it's been so fun for Bears fans to see him the last two games because I, I think a lot of people just given up on him, and uh, and for him to do it with his arm and not necessarily with his legs um, is it, that is growth. That's something we haven't seen before, right? I mean, it, it's not. I think you can sit there and say he's getting better without having to commit to, oh, my God, he is either uh, the answer or not the answer long term. And I think everything that you see with your eyes in yeah. his game aesthetically mm-hmm. and what the metrics, the advanced stats show you mm-hmm. is he's been playing a little more freely. Yeah. Like he said he wanted to. And that doesn't mean that Justin Fields dictates what the offensive scheme is going to be. No. But I think, you know, revisiting those comments that he made going into the Week 3 game in Kansas City, which was just a terrible time to make those. Like, <laughs> say that when you're playing Denver, man. <laughs> say, don't say that when you're going on the road against the defending champs because it's going to look a lot better when you can do it going into Denver or Washington. But I think there was some element. He said a lot of things mm-hmm. in that press conference, but there was some element of I'm too concerned with making mistakes. I'm too concerned with avoiding mistakes. Right. Don't do the wrong thing. Fo- so focused on what I shouldn't do rather than what I should do. Yeah. And I think what you have seen since then is someone who is statistically throwing more aggressively uh, in terms of throwing into tight coverage more often and throwing further downfield. And it's just looked better, Pat. I wrote- it's looked more like this is what I could imagine Justin career Justin Fields' career being like. Now, like the disclaimer on all of it is it was against the worst defenses in the league. Sure. But 
just the overall look and what the numbers are telling you about the way he's playing, it does seem he his word was to play more freely or and more naturally. I think he said both of those things. I would say he's playing uh, more aggressively and a little less concerned with risk. You you need to factor risk in when you're playing right. quarterback. That's sure. part of it. Right. But you don't want to be overly engrossed in trying to avoid doing the wrong thing. You need to be thinking about doing the right thing. And DJ Moore, a great example. Right. Throw it to DJ Moore. Mm-hmm. You need, don't force it, but take your chances with DJ right. Moore. He's supposed to be that good. Uh, to your point, uh, the aggressiveness stat that NFL Next Gen Stats puts together, what that does is that measures how many times you throw the ball when a defender is within a yard of your guy. Uh, uh, Justin Fields' rankings in aggressiveness by week this season. Can I do it? You're doing a percentage or you're doing a ranking among the other quarterbacks? The ranking among all the okay. quarterbacks. So this is where he ranks among all the quarterbacks. Week by week. In terms of what pers- how many of his throws are into tight right. coverage. Week by week. Week one, dead last. I think it was three, under 3% that yeah. week of his passes. Yeah. Week two, seventh to last. Week three, uh, sixth best, then 10th best, then seventh best. So he's gone in the last three weeks to, you know, the top third of the league in terms of just letting it fly. Now, in that Chiefs game, the game was over at halftime. So I'm not yeah. going to give him any credit for letting it fly there. But, you know, the last two weeks he has been... He's been Josh Allen. <laughs> Are you talking about a guy in the beginning of the season throwing aggressive, making those aggressive throws as that's defined, like you said, less than 3% of the time week one. I think it was around 7% week two, and then boom, like right. 17-ish percent the last few weeks. That looks different. Now, Jameis Winston makes a lot of aggressive throws, and you don't want to be Jameis Winston. Sure, right. So there has to be some balance here. But you, but you could see, knowing Justin Fields, having covered Justin Fields for the last three years, and having so many different voices in his ear, whether it's Filippo or Negi or Laser or Getze right. or Janoko or Eberflus, you could see all of that becoming so much of a focus on doing everything the way they're saying and don't break this rule, right. don't break that rule, instead of just, just playing a little more. Well, and we even talked about this in training camp, that there were times when you'd be watching practice and you'd drop back and you just sit there like under your breath, you go, throw it. Yeah, make, make a play. Throw, throw, the, throw the ball. I was disappointed and, that Luke Getze kind of was asked, I, I think I asked him about going back to those comments, did you and Justin kind of figure out a way forward right. from where helping him mm-hmm. play more freely, empower him, embolden him right. to play a little more freely and not be so worried about mistakes? And Getze just kind of was like, no, I've always treated him that way. There's nothing new. Yeah. But the, the result on the field looks new. Yeah, it absolutely does. And maybe Gessie just doesn't want to dip his toes back in that water. Yeah, they would love it if that never got brought back up again. Yes. Fields, Gessie, they'd love it if we never brought that up again, yes. I want to touch on DJ Moore real quick before we get to our picks. NFC Offensive Player of the Week. First time that had happened to a Bears receiver since 1999. Jason, what, what were you doing in 1999? High school. Okay. High school. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, my soft start of my sophomore year of college. Um, fact is, the Bears haven't had many good receivers. Is the point I'm trying to make? Not usually. Uh, does this is this a paradigm shifting thing? If Moore settles into a top ten receiver, you know he's not going to be Justin Jefferson, but if he is rich man's Keenan Allen, something like that, poor man's Devontae Adams. I fully expect him to be. Why is anyone surprised by this? 
Why is this new to anyone? It's not new to you. You're not surprised by this. No, I think the Bears completing a forward pass is new to everyone. That is a little bit, yeah, <laughs> revolutionary for them. But DJ Moore was a thousand yard per season mm-hmm. wide receiver in Carolina when they had nobody at quarterback. Right. Justin Fields would dominate the quarterbacks that they had during his run in Carolina. Then he comes here, and Pat, you saw it from the first practice. Right. You saw it from day one. Oh, this guy is like nothing we've seen in the last several years mm-hmm. with the Bears. This is their best player, in my opinion. And even if you didn't I agree... I don't think it's close. He, I don't know if you agreed he was their best player, but oh, I did. certainly yeah. would have put him in the conversation. Better at his job than anyone else. You saw that May, June, into August, September. Like, there was no doubt that he was that good. Mm-hmm. The question was whether the Bears would get going on him. DJ Moore is not new. No. DJ Moore is established. He's been doing this for a long time. The, but but the, the Bears running the league a, is not surprised by DJ. The Bears Moore. running a healthy offense to get him the ball is absolutely new, though. Yeah, and but this is something that they wanted to get for Justin Fields. They wanted to get him this weapon. They because it will make his job easier. Right. And you spent the first three weeks of the season being like, why? Why is Justin Fields not using right. this? Why right. Fields, Getsy, whoever's at play here, like, why are they not making use of this incredible weapon, the best weapon they have? One thing, too, is the commanders kept playing single high safety man defense. I, I think other d- defenses will probably want to double him a little more. The next step, I think, is finding other answers on the field that, that are not named D.J. Moore. Darnell Mooney's been uh, gone without a catch in three games this year, right? Uh, Cole Komet uh, has a hamstring injury. He's been pretty good this season, um, but your tight end probably shouldn't be your second guy. He should probably be your third guy. Uh, you know, Chase Claypool's been amazing. Oh, nope, he's on another team. Um, the Bears need weapons that aren't named DJ Moore in order to really have a healthy offense. Justin Fields was preemptively on us about this a few weeks. Yeah. He said, nah, you know, once we start throwing to DJ, then you guys are going to be like, why aren't you throwing to Mooney? Why aren't you throwing right. to Chase? Why aren't you throwing to Cole Komet? Uh, you know, why aren't you throwing to Byron Pringle and Nikhil Harry? All the <laughs> way down the list. Um, that's not what we're saying. Right. No matter what their defense they're playing, throw the ball to DJ Moore 10 times a game. Sure. Period. That's it. Everything else falls where it may. But that should open up opportunities for Komet and Mooney to contribute something. I would I would offer Robert Tunyon, too. I mean, there were three guys who caught passes against the Commanders. DJ Moore, Cole Komet, and Robert Tunyon. Uh, you know, that's... I mean, you need to double that number at least, don't you? You want to see Mooney. Yeah. Mooney's the guy you want to see. Mooney right. was a 1,000-yard receiver in 2021. Yeah. Mooney has done, had done nothing but climb since he got here, and then it just hasn't looked right. His last 17 games now, mm-hmm. which is the last two seasons for him, I, I think he's at like 600 yards or something like that. That's just not the player you remember. It just hasn't quite seemed smooth right. with him in this offense. And they've got to figure that out because – he definitely could be your number two to DJ Moore. It also shows you how fleeting everything in the NFL is. You know, yeah. at this time a year ago, uh, or you know, at the end of 2020, I think, or 2021, you and I probably would have bet a lot of money that they would give him a second contract and that he'd be maybe not a top tier receiver, but a strong middle tier receiver, strong number two guy. And I think Pat, at that time, we were making a list. This was during the changeover from Pace and Negi to Poles and Eberflus. We were trying to make the list of who would the new who would the new administration want to keep? Mm-hmm. Who are your pieces that you absolutely have to keep? And it was a short list. It might have been three or right. four guys, but Mooney was on it. Well, and then Ryan Pulse shows up, and uh, 
when we ask him about his building blocks, he, he names one person, and it's Darnell Mooney. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, if the Bears could get him going, that would help them. I'm I, not out on Darnell Mooney. I'm not writing Darnell Mooney off. We've seen enough from him. He has a body of work sure. that you give him the benefit of the doubt for a while here that he'll figure it out, and you give him the benefit of the doubt, Pet, that it might not be him. It might not be entirely his problem here. This sure. could be a Getze issue. This could be a Fields issue. Uh, it, there is probably some component of it that's Mooney, and we remember last year he said he was having a little bit of trouble with the playbook. I think right. had run the wrong route on some key plays or something like that. But it, it, this is a problem that everyone needs to be involved in figuring out because Darnell Mooney is hugely important. To them. He was also their best receiver in Week 1 this year uh, against the Packers. Uh, we're getting to picks here. Jason, uh, we are split for the first time in a long time. Uh, tell me who you've got uh, and why, and I will tell you the score if you don't remember it. Uh, I think I have Bears 29 to 26. Very good, yes, and why? I, I think they'll score a lot. I think the Vikings are like ripe to be taken advantage of on that side. But I also think even without Justin Jefferson, the Bears aren't just going to shut them down. No. So I expect a high-scoring game. I think even though this is a great opportunity for the Bears, it's hard to picture them just stomping someone, even though I know we saw it last week. Uh, even then, Pat, it was pretty tense there in the third quarter, early fourth quarter. It was, and I've said this, but it was the closest 20-point game I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, if you didn't watch that game, you just won't understand why it felt that close. But it was the history. It was the context of right. what had happened five days before where they had blown a uh, 28-7 lead late in the game. Um, I, I think that there will be a good amount of points, which will be fun to watch, thank God. Um, <laughs> but I do think that I think the Bears should win this game. It's hard to predict Bears, the Bears to win. Right. Because you sit there all the time and say, this is a game they should win. This is what they should do. They, right. have, they have enough in their favor that they should win this game, but they lose a lot of games that they should, historically. Mark Potash also has the Bears winning by three. This time it's 23-26, and he's got that going into overtime, okay. which, talk about a fun game. Um, Scoop Jackson and Rick Tellender have got the Bears as well. Uh, Rick Morrissey and I have the Vikings because Rick Morrissey likes uh, whatever answer produces the most pain. And has Rick Morrissey just filed his predictions for the entire season already? <laughs> I don't know. He um, and they're all the opponent. He's four and one, and I'm four and one. Yeah, and betting the opponent you, has worked. Yes, that's the. You know? There's a reason that's the inverse of the Bears record. If, yeah, if you went the last like five years betting the opponent. You're probably ahead. Yeah, I've got the Vikings 35-34. My argument is just that Kirk Cousins. I think. Kirk Cousins probably can't win you a Super Bowl, but Kirk Cousins on a random Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon uh, is a pretty good player. And uh, I don't think the Bears' defense has shown that it can stop a quarterback who's pretty good yet. Uh, and you know it, it may come down to uh, it may come down to the end. And if it's raining, if it's gross on the field, uh, that that'll only make it more Bearsy uh, there at the end. I agree with you on Kirk Cousins. Like he'll win you some regular season games. It is going to be harder when you don't have the guy that could get you 200 yards. Yeah. Jefferson. I mean, man, you have that. Like, every team in the, in the league practically wishes they had that. They may have that still, and we just don't know his name <laughs> yet. I would just find out. The Bears will inform <laughs> us of who it is with their poor defense. Well, we'll uh, and then we'll pass it along to you uh, when the game Fred ends. Fred McGillicuddy. <laughs> You're going to be surprised. Was that the neighbor? In, no, no. Lucy was Lucy McGillicuddy. Yeah, names. Uh, Fred was the neighbor. Anyway, uh, we will uh, be back next time from the press box at Soldier Field. Until then, 
Uh, you can follow Jason, Mark Potash, and myself on social media. Pick up a newspaper. Go to the Sun-Times website or app. Uh, he is Jason Leisure. I'm Pat Finley. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back again real soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.